0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I want to start by thanking Dr. Chavner for the invitation to be here today, and all of you for joining us. Just two talks uh, standing between uh, uh, now and lunch. Um, So it's a real privilege to be here to speak about red fusions as a target in non-small cell lung cancer. Um, These are my disclosures. So many of you in the audience today know that non-small cell lung cancer is a real prominent example of the opportunities that are afforded by precision medicine. And this is because our treatment approach to non-small cell lung cancer is becoming increasingly molecularly subclassified, very much informed by the knowledge of specific oncogenic driver alterations that are present in the tumor. So of course, the earliest actionable driver to be identified was EGFR mutations, in 2004, but since then, a number of additional drivers have been identified, including ALK and ROS1 gene fusions, BRAF mutations, medexone-14 skipping, and others. And in parallel, there has been the development of an increasing number of genotype-directed drugs matched to this diversity of targets. And so in this diagram, I've only shown some of the tyrosine kinase inhibitors. I have not shown, some of you will recognize uh, NRG1 fusions or KRAS-G12C mutations. Um, I have not shown antibody drug conjugates or monoclonal antibodies. But shown in the blue color are the drugs that have already received FDA approval, and in the green color are the drugs that have received FDA breakthrough therapy designation. And the emerging theme that I want to highlight here is that even for those targets, for which we already have multiple FDA-approved drugs available, such as EGFR mutations and ALK fusions, there's a active ongoing effort to develop even better drugs that are more CNS active, that are more potent, and have activity against some of the resistance mutations that can arise and cause disease relapse on earlier generations of tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And what we also know is that as a result of these drug development efforts, patient outcomes uh, in lung cancer have really dramatically improved. And so those patients who are found to have actionable driver targets and receive appropriately matched targeted therapies not only have improvements in their progression-free survival on the targeted therapy, but we know that they also have improved survival compared to those patients who don't receive appropriately targeted therapies or those patients who do not have these actionable driver targets in their tumor. And that is why now national guidelines really strongly advise that doctors pursue broad genetic profiling in patients that are newly diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. And so this is a snapshot from the NCCN guidelines where they state that for patients who are newly diagnosed with advanced non-small-cell lung cancer, yes, you should perform EGFR mutation testing. You should look for ALK, ROS1, BRAF mutations for which there are FDA-approved drugs available, but in in addition, they strongly advise broad molecular profiling, ideally in the form of next-generation sequencing, and that is to identify some of these rarer, more newer drivers for which there may not yet be approved drugs available, but patients could su- still ac- access um, effective drugs in the form of clinical tra- trials, excuse me. <clears throat> And so I think the story of red fusions in lung cancer is one that really beautifully illustrates why it's so important to pursue appropriate molecular profiling when patients are newly diagnosed with lung cancer. And it is also an example where the knowledge of red fusions as a target um, helped drive active uh, drug development efforts. And it's a successful story in my view. So between late 2011 and early 2012, Four groups independently reported the discovery of red fusions as a driver in lung cancer. And so, as an example, this Korean group led by Dr. Ju and his, his colleagues had a lung adenocarcinoma sample that was taken from a patient who was relatively young and had um, never smoked before. And so some of you know that these are exactly the clinical characteristics that are associated with the presence of other oncogene alterations, right? Never smoking history, young age diagnosis. We knew back then that those patients tended to have EGFR mutations or ALK fusions. And so initially, limited genotyping was performed, looking for EGFR mutations, KRAS mutations, um, ALK fusions, and those were not found. So then the group asked, well, the patient has the right clinical characteristics. Could there be a, a novel driver that we do not know of yet? So they went on to pursue whole genome and transcriptome sequencing, and indeed, they isolated this novel kif 5 b fusion, which at that time had not yet been known as a driver in lung cancer. And the fusion was uh, found to be transforming. So 3T3 cells infected with the k 5B red uh, retrovirus formed numerous foci in culture. And when these cells were injected into nude mice, there were a number of subcutaneous uh, tumors that were formed and uh, observed. So what is red? Uh, red is a transmembrane glycoprotein receptor tyrosine kinase. It's encoded by the rearranged during transfection gene on chromosome 10Q112. And normally, it has a role in the development of the kidney, uh, enteric nervous system, and also in the homeostasis of neural, hematopoietic, and male germ cell tissues. In lung cancer, we know that the red gene can be fused to a number of different partner genes, um, and a number of different variants just with the q 5 b red fusion have also been reported. And in this diagram, you're seeing some of the most common red fusions that are detected in patients with lung cancer. We know that all of these fusions retain the entire tyrosine kinase domain uh, of, of RET, And the red fusions, since their initial discovery, have been identified in about 1% to 2% overall of patients with non-small-cell lung cancer. But an important takeaway point is that it's also found in a broad spectrum of other solid tumors. So 10 to 20% of papillary and other thyroid cancers have red fusions. And you see here that a rare proportion of other solid tumor types are also found to have the red fusion, including pancreatic cancer, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, and other solid tumor types as well. In addition, activating red mutations are also found in a diverse spectrum of cancers. And actually they're pathognomonic in a subset of thyroid cancers. Over 90% of hereditary thyroid cancers have red mutations and then over 60% of sporadic thyroid cancers have the red mutations as well. And this is important to remember because some of you remember the story of TREC tyrosine kinase inhibitors, right? So we have two FDA-approved TREC inhibitors, larotrectinib and entrectinib, and those were noteworthy because they received the approval in a tumor-agnostic fashion. Um, We know that n fusions are the driver in a number of different tumor types. So not only n fusion-driven lung cancer, but any type of solid tumor with n fusions can respond to these TREC inhibitors. And you might imagine that similar story may carry through with a number of other oncogene drivers, including RET fusions and RET mutations. Just to briefly review the signaling of oncogenic RET. so normally... GDNF family ligands bind to the um, GDNF uh, family receptor alpha coreceptor, and that mediates the homodimerization of the red kinase, trans autophosphorylation, uh, uh, recruitment of the signaling adapters, and then activation of the downstream signaling. So that's shown on the right side. In tumor cells with activating red mutations or fusions, there's constitutive, constitutive activation of the red kinase, either homodimerization of the red kinase without dependence on ligand or activation of the red kinase function that is in a ligand-independent fashion. And that leads to overactivation of the RAS PI3 kinase JAK signaling pathways, which then promotes tumor cell proliferation. So let's move on to what we know so far about red fusions in lung cancer. This is data that's from a global multicenter red registry where 165 patients with lung cancers harboring red fusions were evaluated. And here you can see that the average age at diagnosis was 61. So I will note that that is slightly older than what we know about ALK ROS1 fusions where the median age at diagnosis is closer to 50. Um, There's an equal proportion of genders here. There's no uh, preference for one gender. Consistent with what we know about other oncogens in lung cancer, these patients tend to be never smokers or have minimally smoked before. And they tend to have adenocarcinoma histology. So again, highlighting that really in these patients, they must have had molecular profiling at initial diagnosis. The most common RET fusion partner in lung cancer, as I mentioned before, is KIF-5b-RET. However, there are a number of other uh, fusion partners that are also relevant. And and that is why NGS can be helpful as opposed to RT-PCR, because NGS offers us the possibility of detecting uh, de novo fusion partners, previously unknown fusion partners as well. So now I want to focus the rest of my talk on targeting RET. And so actually when red fusions were first identified as a driver in lung cancer, there already happened to be multi-kinase inhibitors with activity against red that were available. So a couple of well-known, well-known examples are cabozantinib and vandetanib, And these had already received FDA approval for the indication of medullary thyroid cancer at the time. And then there were a number of other multi-kinase inhibitors, too, that had known activity against red. These included sorafenib, sunitinib, among others. And so they were quickly tested in the lab to see if inhibition of red could successfully um, inhibit the growth of these red fusion uh, harboring tumor cells. And indeed, as you can see here, in both 3T3 and BEF3 cell line model, and also in lung cancer models, um, application of these multi-kinase inhibitors led to significant inhibition of tumor cell growth. And because these drugs were so readily accessible in clinic, Um, trials were quickly launched to formally evaluate the efficacy of these multi-kinase inhibitors in lung cancer patients with red fusions. And I think this table, the numbers shown here, really speak for themselves. So the multi-kinase inhibitors that were evaluated in phase two trials were cabozantinib, bandetinib, lenvatinib, and sorafenib. And you can see that there was some activity, yes, but the response rates ranged from largely teens to 20s, and median PFS from four to around seven months. These are not the numbers that we've come to accept in lung cancer. And so here in this diagram, on the x-axis, you're seeing the objective response rate. And on the y-axis, you're seeing the median progression-free survival. And so if you consider the osimertinib, represented by the blue ball at the top right corner, which is now considered the standard first-line therapy in EGFR mutant lung cancer, and then also consider alectinib just to the left of osimertinib, which is the standard first-line therapy in ALK-rearranged lung cancer, what we've come to expect is median PFS well exceeding a year, exceeding 18 months, and then objective response rates exceeding 80%. And so median PFS around four to six months or response rates in the teens to 20s does not tell us that we're doing a successful enough job inhibiting the target in our lung cancer patients. And one of the reasons for that may be that there is some limited potency, right, against the red target with these multi-kinase inhibitors. But another big reason is that these multi-kinase inhibitors, because of their lack of selectivity, can result in significant and frequent toxicities in patients. These include hand foot syndrome, hypertension, proteinuria, among others. And so you can see here that a significant proportion of patients receiving these multi-kinase inhibitors require dose reductions and those drug discontinuations even. And so it can be challenging in patients to reach therapeutically active doses of these drugs that can successfully inhibit RET. So that really highlighted the need to develop novel, really potent, and selective red tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And I am obviously standing here today because as of 2017, I think we entered a new chapter for treating solid tumors with red alterations, including red fusion positive lung cancer. And so in 2017, there were two uh, oral novel red selective inhibitors that entered the clinic in phase one testing. Uh, these are pralcetinib, which was previously called Blue667, and celpercartinib, which was previously called Loxo292. And I'm going to review the key data for you here today. So let's start with pralcetinib. This is the red tyrosine kinase inhibitor that was developed by Blueprint Medicine. And in this kinome selectivity tree, you can see that uh, pralsetinib was highly selective for red. That one is represented by the large red circle there. It was over 100 times more selective for red compared to uh, more than 96% of other kinases that were tested. And here in this preclinical study, uh, what it's showing is that pralsetinib was more potent compared to RxDX105, which is another multi-kinase inhibitor, fandetinib and cabozantinib. Uh, More potent against red, including wild-type red, mutant red, and CCDC6 red fusion, and less potent against VEGFR2, which we attribute a lot of the toxicities associated with multi-kinase inhibitors to. So pralsetinib did uh, demonstrate good tumor inhibitory um, activity in preclinical models, including red mutant medullary thyroid cancer and Q5B red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer xenograft models. And you can see on the left there, on, on your right, that at all of the dose levels that were tested, there was good tumor uh, suppression in the xenograft models. And the KIF-5B-RED fusion model is particularly important to note because with multi-kinase inhibitors, there had been a suggestion that perhaps activity of the uh, RED inhibitors was limited in patients that had KIF-5B-RED fusion positive lung cancer. So KIF-5B-RED fusion is known to be more kind of potent and oncogenic. And there was a question that was raised, well, it seems like the efficacy or response rates with these multi-kinase inhibitors are lower in patients that have Q5B red fusion positive lung cancer. So is it that we just need better drugs or is it that these tumors are relatively refractory to red inhibition? And that question you'll see will be answered by this red selective inhibitor data. So the initial phase one study of pralsetinib was called ARROW, and the first data were presented uh, in 2018 at the AACR meeting. At that time, 53 patients had enrolled, mostly with non-small cell lung cancer or thyroid cancer. There were a couple patients with papillary thyroid cancer with red fusions, and then one patient with paraganglioma. And most patients had received prior systemic therapies, including multi-kinase inhibitors or chemotherapy. And the drug was certainly better tolerated than what we were used to with multi-kinase inhibitors. It had an overall favorable safety profile. So the most common adverse events, as you can see here, were constipation, increase in liver enzymes, edema, fatigue, um, and some leukopenia and neutropenia as well. The most common dose-limiting toxicities that were seen with this drug were hypertension. And so from the phase one dose escalation portion of the study, the recommended phase two dose was determined to be 400 milligrams once a day. And the efficacy was further evaluated in larger numbers of patients. This is the efficacy data for red fusion-positive lung cancer. This was updated at ASCO last year, actually, by Dr. Justin Gaynor in our group. And so you can see that among patients that received prior platinum-based chemotherapy, the objective response rate with the drug was 60%, and the disease control rate was 100%. Among a small number of patients that were treatment-naive, the response rate with this drug was 71%. And I want to highlight that objective responses to the drug were observed regardless of the fusion type. And so patients with KIF-5B red fusions also did respond to the drug. And among previously treated patients, there were responses regardless of prior multikinase inhibitor um, therapy, regardless of prior immunotherapy or a number of lines of therapy. And this drug of note is also CNS active. This is important in lung cancer because many of our patients during their disease course will develop intracranial metastasis if they did not already present with intracranial meds and initial diagnosis. And so at ASCO this year, um, as of that analysis, there were nine patients that started out with measurable brain metastasis. And you can see 78% of these patients had significant shrinkage of their brain metastasis, which was very encouraging to see. So the other drug, the second uh, red selective inhibitor, as I mentioned, is selpercatinib, previously called Loxo-292, developed by Loxo Oncology. And so this is the preclinical data that was published um, in the cancer discovery paper. Here you are seeing uh, each color is representing a unique uh, red mutant or red fusion positive model. And the activity is compared to cabozantinib. And you can see that there is a much greater tumor response in all of the models that were tested with cell percotinib as compared to cabozantinib. An interesting fact is that even in preclinical studies, LOXO-292 was already predicted to be CNS active. So they actually had um, orthotopic uh, mouse tumor model where in the brain they injected tumor cells uh, with a red fusion positive um, disease. And there was a very good activity seen with LOXO-292 compared to ponatinib in this graph. So the phase one study of selpacratinib was launched around the same time as that for pralcetinib, they kind of developed in parallel. And there, this is the dose escalation schema for the drug um, in the phase one study. And the initial results were published at, uh, presented at ASCO last year, just a couple months after the initial data for um, uh, pralcetinib. And at that time, 82 patients had enrolled in the trial, and you can see that Overall, the demographics for the patients that enrolled were pretty uh, similar to what had been noted in the ProSETNIP trial, where the majority had either non-small-cell lung cancer or thyroid cancer, a few with other types of solid tumors, and most having received prior systemic therapies. And here is the safety profile for selplacotinib, the updated data that we have. The most common side effect that we see with patients in clinic that are treated with selplacotinib is actually dry mouth. It can be uh, pretty hard to tolerate for some patients. We do see diarrhea, increase in liver enzymes, fatigue, and constipation. But overall, again, I want to highlight much, much easier for patients to to take than the multi-kinase inhibitors. So here is the most updated top-line data for salpicotinib in red fusion-positive non-small-cell lung cancer presented a couple months ago at World Lung Meeting. And so the primary analysis set is those patients with red fusion-positive lung cancer that received prior platinum-based chemotherapy. And in this patient population, the objective response rate was 68% with a median PFS of 18.4 months, um, which is pretty encouraging. And then among those patients that were treatment-naive, the response rate was 85%. So very exciting data. And uh, as predicted by the preclinical studies, the lip drug also was CNS-active. Here you're seeing representative, representative uh, brain MRI images from a patient with red fusion positive lung cancer that received self And so to your left, you're seeing a number of intracranial metastases that were seen at baseline, and you can see how almost all of them have melted away by four weeks on therapy. And then here you're seeing volumetric analysis with each of the uh, green dots representing intracranial or leptomeningeal disease. And so that's the baseline uh, labeled A. In the middle, you can see some of them beginning to disappear um, after about two months on therapy or actually one month on therapy. And then to the left, uh, most of the figure, many of them have disappeared by about five months on therapy. So definitely a CNS active drug. And so, both um, selpercutinib and pralsetinib have received FDA breakthrough therapy designation for lung cancer patients with red fusions who received prior platinum-based chemotherapy, um, and 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 you know. One of the major challenges going forward, as many of you know, will be defining what mechanisms drive resistance to these red selective inhibitors in patients. We know with all of the other targeted therapies used in lung cancer and and other solid tumors that these these pills are initially highly effective, and we're very excited to use them. But patients invariably have disease progression and disease relapse because tumors figure out a way to acquire resistance. Um, And so there are ongoing efforts to define these resistance mechanisms to the red selective inhibitors in order to inform how we can overcome these mechanisms eventually in patients. The the utility and importance of performing repeat biopsies, either liquid biopsies or tumor biopsies, to try and figure out resistance mechanisms is already highlighted by other oncogen-driven lung cancers, especially ALK fusion-positive lung cancer. So I want to tell you a little bit about that story. So in ALK fusion-positive lung cancer, there are actually five uh, distinct ALK tyrosine kinase inhibitors that have already been FDA-approved. So crizotinib is what we call the first generation ALK inhibitor, but then we have a number of second generation ALK inhibitors, including these three in the middle that are FDA approved, seritinib, alectinib, and brigatinib. And then we actually also have a third generation ALK inhibitor, lorlatinib, which has also received um, FDA approval. And for each generation of ALK inhibitors, what we're seeing is increased potency against the ALK target, improved CNS activity, and broader spectrum of efficacy against the secondary ALK kinase mutations, kinase domain mutations that cause disease progression in patients. The important finding is that when we look at repeat biopsies that are taken from patients that progress on each of these ALK inhibitors, we see a distinct spectrum and distribution of resistance mutations that causes disease relapse. So these are pie charts that are demonstrating the distribution of ALK mutations that are detected in repeat tumor biopsies taken from patients progressing on crizotinib or each of these second-generation ALK inhibitors. And each color corresponds to a distinct ALK-resistance mutation. And so you can just see visually that for each of these inhibitors, there is a unique distribution of mutations. For example, an I1171 mutation represented by the yellow color for alectinib-resistant biopsies, which is not seen for seritinib or brigatinib-resistant biopsies. But then there's also a, a sub- subset of patients that have that share the common resistance mutation. So across all of these inhibitors, you see the red color there that corresponds to the G12O2R mutation. That's a highly refractory solvent from mutation, which we found confers resistance to all of the available earlier-generation ALK inhibitors. And so all of this knowledge were important twofold. One, they can be used in clinic to guide clinicians in terms of what alternative ALK inhibitor could potentially be active for the patient in terms of having activity against that specific mutation. But two, at a broader level, also informing drug development efforts, this really tells us that we need ALK inhibitors that are able to overcome all of these mutations, and in particular, the G12O2R mutation. And I anticipate that similar story will hold true for red fusion positive lung cancer. I definitely anticipate that we'll have next generation red inhibitors. They are actually actively being developed as we speak. And what we hope to see is that these next generation red inhibitors will have activity in patients that have disease progression on the first generation red selective inhibitors, pralsetinib and selpercotinib. And critical there will be the level of activity that these next-generation red inhibitors have against some of the red kinase mutations that may emerge in patients that progress on these uh, inhibitors. So far, all of the published reports have only looked at patients progressing on multi-kinase inhibitors. So right now, we don't have any published reports of mechanisms of resistance to pralsetinib or sel- selpercatinib. And so here, looking at this summary of what's been published, you can see that most of those are actually derived from preclinical level of data. There are only a few reports that are taken from patients in clinic who are progressing on these agents. Some of these mutations that have been reported include the gatekeeper mutation, red V804M, um, in a patient progressing on Vandetinib, and then an S904F mutation in another patient progressing on Vandetinib. and then MDM2 amplification in a patient progressing on cabozantinib. I do want to mention that MDM2 amplification is actually a common co-occurring mutation in red fusion-positive lung cancer, even in treatment-naive tumors. Um, and then the V804M gatekeeper mutation, both of the red selective inhibitors, prelsatinib and selpercutinib, actually are active already against the gatekeeper mutation. And so most likely, if we see any red mutations emerge, which I think we will, um, they'll probably be the non-gatekeeper mutations. I am not able to share um, unpublished data, Dr. Chapner. Thanks. <laughs> um, So lastly, I do want to mention that what we learn about red fusions and targeting red fusions or red alterations across solid tumors will have um, translatability to other tumors as well. This is because red fusions are not only uh, an oncogenic driver in treatment-naive tumors, but they have also been reported in patients with other oncogen-driven lung cancers that progress on TKIs. And so an example some of you may be familiar with is in EGFR mutant lung cancer, where patients can initially respond very nicely to osimertinib, but then have disease progression. And Dr. Zosia Piotruska from our group analyzed a, a series of tumor biopsies that were taken from patients progressing on osimertinib. And there were some already known mechanisms of resistance that were validated. These include a small cell transformation, a C797S mutation in EGFR, and MET amplification, which is a known mechanism of resistance as well. But then there were a couple of patients that were found to have an acquired BRAF fusion and then a patient also with an acquired red fusion and so they were able to then carry on a, a few experiments validating that this CCDC6 red fusion that was acquired indeed confers resistance to osimertinib. And so these uh, lung cancer cell lines, um, EGFR mutant lung cancer cells that were um, uh, forced to ectopically express CCDC6 red indeed became resistance to, resistant to osimertinib. And then that resistance phenotype was able to be overcome with a combinatorial regimen where osimertinib or afatinib was combined with pralsatinib as the red selective inhibitor. Based on these preclinical results, the patient that had uh, the EGFR mutant lung cancer with an acquired red fusion went on to be treated with a combination regimen of osimertinib together with pralsatinib and a picture's worth a thousand words, the patient had a very nice response uh, of the tumor to combinatorial um, regimen. So all of the ongoing um, efforts to develop even better drugs against red will also have utility not in other red altered solid tumors, but potentially also in other oncogen driven cancers where red fusions or red alterations may serve as a resistance mechanism. And so to summarize, uh, red fusions represent a distinct targetable uh, subset of lung cancer, and activating red alterations are found in other diverse spectrum of malignancies as well. Previously available multikinase inhibitors have been limited by modest efficacy and substantial toxicities. And now we're excited to have two red selective tyrosine kinase inhibitors available, which have both demonstrated very promising safety and efficacy across red altered solid tumors, um, with both drugs having received FDA breakthrough therapy designation in lung cancer. But we really need future studies to define the mechanisms of resistance to these, uh, what I call first-generation REST-selective inhibitors to inform further drug development and help improve outcomes in our patients. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. We'll take uh, one question, and Bruce, unfortunately, we're running a little behind, so you don't get to ask the question about uh, Data she wouldn't share. Nice talk, Jess. Um, Do you have any data on amplifications or copy number gains, or where are we with that? That's a really good question. We don't have any data on that, and we haven't looked at uh, red amplification. It's not a known um, driver in lung cancer, but we have not specifically looked at that.